You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. To look at one of probably the most uh, famous, I guess you can say, one of the most famous passages in, in all of the Bible. And, and it's a beautiful passage. And we want to probably look at it close and unpack it. And really understand, what does it mean to me? How does this scripture affect my life? So while you're doing that, I want to pray that way for you this morning. Father, we just ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. And as those who were traveling on the road to Emmaus said, did not our heart burn within us while we, while we talked with Jesus? So Lord, today we're here to talk with you and that you would share with us by your Holy Spirit the things that we need to know. The things that you know are going to happen in the next few days in our own life, that you anticipate, you know those things before we ever do. And so, Lord, we just bring our time, our attention, our focus right now to this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to start with a crazy question. Uh, how many of you remember the day you were born? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that is a crazy question. It's a little bit rhetorical. There are people in your life that do remember that particular day. And I don't know if you remember exactly when you started remembering. I, I don't know when that happened for you. I, I know it happened for me. Uh, I was about four years old, and it was a very traumatic event that I brought on myself. And I know you may not believe this, uh, but I, I did this. I, I ate mothballs and uh, scared my mom and dad to death. They rushed us to the hospital. They had to pump my stomach. And uh, yeah, I know. It, can you believe that? I mean, they are the nastiest, ugliest, smelliest things on the planet. And I, I went and, and, and I did that. And just an awful thing. Uh, I don't think that we remember much, obviously, about our birth. We do have memories when we're younger. I think most of us do remember the day that we had our second birth. That day that we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we called on the name of the Lord and we believed in him. And, and for some of you, it happened in a private quiet place some of you it happened in church some of you it just happened along the way where you know you experienced this amazing saving grace of Jesus Christ for me that memory goes back to when I was seven years old see I was pretty desperate to find Jesus at seven because I ate a lot of mothballs before and and uh, you know those kind of things are traumatic in your life so you need to find salvation and and I was at a good news uh, club do you remember those good news clubs our neighborhood sponsored one I went to one uh, I was in and from a Christian home, but it was really the first time I actually heard the gospel in a way that made sense and kind of invited me in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I, I remember that. And I remember the conversions of other folks in my life. I, I do. There's some that probably stand out with you as well. These uh, dramatic conversions that took place. I remember I was a youth pastor in uh, Winston, Oregon, and and one of the main drug dealers there, Troy Hartley, uh, he, he came to me on campus and he, he just started talking to me about Jesus. And he, he found faith in Jesus Christ, radical turnaround in his life. In fact, because I really believe because of that salvation, there was a revival that broke out in that community of youth that went on for, for several months. Those are dramatic conversions. I also remember a conversion in Lagos, Nigeria. I was in the airport and getting ready to leave, and it was during Ramadan, and I, I, I knelt down and I prayed with a Muslim, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a dramatic conversion. Uh, some of them are like that, and some of them are just so peaceful and quiet. 
but there is that second birth. And that second birth comes because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do today is to really understand chapter 3, at least the beginning of it. You want to go back. You want to go back to chapter 2 and look at the last few verses, 23, 24, and 25. I'm going to read you 23 and 24 of John chapter 2. And this is what it says. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem, that's Jesus, at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust, in some of your Bibles it says, commit himself to them for he knew all the people. This is just really an interesting, an interesting play in words that John brings us to this place and, and we, we read this, and this happens after all the commotion that took place in the temple courts, where, if you remember, Jesus went and he turned the tables of the, of the vendors, of the money changers, and then he says something that was outlandish. He, he said, uh, I, this temple will be broken and, and will be away for three days, broken down and come back alive in, in three days. And, and they're, they're listening to this, wondering, who is this? There were some that were listening and thinking, I, I have a, a sense that this, this guy knows what he's talking about. But there were others that were following Jesus for a totally different reason. Uh, there were a lot that caught the eye of Jesus, and he caught their eye, they caught his. And among those interested was a man named Nicodemus. Uh, you can call him Nick if you want, nickname, haha, pun intended. But uh, this was a meeting of Nick at night, is really what's happening right here. And so we find this man named Nicodemus. And it's good to know a little bit about who Nicodemus is. Uh, everyone didn't feel the same as Nicodemus. Nicodemus was hungry. He was looking for something. He was sincere, uh, but others may not have been. Uh, you see, he was seeking Jesus because he had this sense that Jesus was the Messiah. There were others that were seeking Jesus because of really the miraculous, the things that they, Jesus could do for them. These are those that John is talking about in chapter 2. It says those that had a, a different motive. They were following Jesus for the signs and wonders. It says here they believed, but they believed because of miracles. They believed for the wrong reasons. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever thought about there can be a belief for the wrong reasons. Well, John is addressing these people. What he's saying is that they're superficial. They were seeking for the miraculous. They were not following Jesus for his mission. They weren't on mission with Jesus. They were just wanting a show. They were wanting to be entertained. So John gives us some editorial comments along the way. And this is just the nature of John. John uses a lot of wordplay. He comes back and talks to you about a few things. He unpacks some things. It's kind of poetic. And he does that here. He, he talks about what we're looking at right now in chapter 2. He does it again at the end of chapter 3. But what's very particular about John, uh, probably more than all the other gospel writers, is he wants you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't want you to mistake or make a mistake or believe in anything else except Jesus Christ. See, here is what it says. Uh, it says, and many believed in his name. Uh, and when you read that at first, that's pretty exciting. That's a, that's a pretty cool commentary where it says, and many believe in his name, and I would say on that one, not so fast, not so fast. That's not what was happening altogether. They're believing for the wrong reasons. Now, I want you to look again just a little further. It says, but Jesus would not entrust or commit himself to them. Why? 
because he knew the motivation of their heart. He actually knew why they were following him. I, I know when I read this uh, a week or so ago, I, I asked myself that same question. What is the motivation of my heart? You know, why am I seeking Jesus right now? What am I seeking him for? And I think those are good questions to ask ourselves. To be able to ask ourselves, why are we seeking him right now? What is my heart's motivation? Well, Jesus pays attention to that because when, when he comes looking, he's looking into your heart like he has x-ray vision. He can see what's in the heart of man, what's in the heart of women. John uses wordplay here. He says the word believe or entrust or the word commit, they're all literally the same word. Notice how he says that. He says those that believe, and then he uses another word, commit or entrust in some translations. It's actually literally translated the same. It's the same word. So here's a retranslation, if you would permit me. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. John says this. He says many people believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. That's, that's literally what's being said here. Many believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe in them. And that's, that's John's play on words here. And here's the bottom line. There is faith that is short of saving faith. Please hear this. There's a faith that is short of saving faith. You hear people say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. You know, I believe in God. I mean, we get kind of excited, especially if our favorite athlete says something like that or a, a movie star or a rock singer, you know, I mean, I remember hearing the song, uh, 1969, um, what is it, A Spirit in the Sky, going to the Spirit in the Sky, when I die, I'm going to lay to rest, going to the Spirit in the Sky, and I heard people saying, oh, he must be saved, he must know Jesus, well, he probably knows there's a God, but Norman, that's who wrote the song, uh, as far as I know, never came to faith in Jesus Christ, but we kind of get excited because we see these hints and we think we're seeing something that we may not be seeing. Because what it says here, we have an understanding that there is a belief in Jesus, a belief in God, but that doesn't bring you to the place of salvation. And so we have to look at our lives. We have to look at what's being said around us. Warren Wiersbe uh, calls these people who follow Jesus into Jerusalem by an interesting title. He calls them unsaved believers. Isn't that interesting? Unsaved believers. I actually think and believe that the world is probably populated with unsaved believers, maybe even more concentrated in, in our country, in our nation, uh, a nation under God. But do we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do we follow after Jesus? So here's what's amazing about Jesus. This is the thing I want you to take hold of. Jesus sees into your heart. He has x-ray vision. He sees into your heart. And here's the amazing thing. He still loves you. Yeah. And so when he's looking into your heart and you're asking yourself the question, well, does he see this? Yes. Does he, does he see that? Yes. Does, does he know this about me? Yes. The amazing thing is, is however long that list is for you of what you would categorize as bad things or sinful things, does Jesus know? Yes. Does Jesus still love you? Yes. <clears throat> That's what I wanted us to experience this morning in worship, is that you would just experience the heart of God. And how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. And he loves us and he cares for us. You know, James writes this. He says, you believe there is one God. Good for you. But even the demons believe that and they shudder. They tremble. They're, they're more, in some ways, more respectful <laughs> because it scares them. It scares them. 
And so what we need to pay attention to is where is our heart here? <clears throat> what do we need to know and take away? Now, here's something that, that I want you to see, and that's the last part of chapter 2 again, because uh, it, it, the first part of chapter 3 and chapter 2, the end, they actually go together. When it's written out, you're going to see that they go together. Now, I, I think most of you might know this, but, but the breaking down into chapters didn't come for years and years after this. And the breaking down of chapters isn't altogether inspired. The Word of God is inspired, what you're reading, but there were people that got together and said, hey, it'll make it easier if we break it down into chapters, and I would say amen to that. But sometimes they didn't always get it right in the right place. And this is probably one of those times, <clears throat> because to really understand this, this is what you would want to look at. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. It says, he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And then it says, now, verse 1 in chapter 3, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's comparing those people he's talking about, those unsaved believers, <laughs> and he's comparing them with Nicodemus, and he's saying he's not the same. He's not the same. He's different than these others that are following me. And so the chapter doesn't do it justice sometimes. Chapter divisions were just, again, were added. So here's where I'm going with all this. When we look at verses 25 and 1, what we're seeing there is Jesus is coming into the life, entering the life of Nicodemus. So John wants us to know that Nicodemus is different, that he's sincere, that he is pursuing Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's pursuing after Jesus. He sees him, he believes in what he's seen, and now he wants to believe with his heart. And for us, again today, if we would do the same, just examine our hearts. Where am I in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus then has a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus here, uh, a sincere man, again, even more sincere than Pharisees. Um, we don't look at Pharisees altogether. Uh, they have a bad rep. I mean, if you're around... The, the New Testament and the life of Jesus, they, they have a bad reputation. They're not seen as sincere or honest or, or upstanding people. They're just not uh, seen that way. But it's good to know who they are. Who are these people? Have you ever wondered, what, would they just appear out of thin air? No, they did not just appear out of thin air. If you remember at the end of the Old Testament, the place where Ezra and Nehemiah are mentioned, and it's the rebuilding of the walls after their captivity in Babylon. Remember that? That time, what we studied about six months ago, it was during this captivity of Babylon, when they were in Babylon, that they decided, we can't make these same mistakes. We can't keep living in apostasy. We can't keep turning our back on God. We can't live in idolatry. And so there were a group of people, well-meaning, sincere people, that got together and said, we can't let this happen again. And so the seeds of being a Pharisee or that that group, that coalition started during those 400 years that we don't really hear a, a whole lot between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it started off in, a, in a, I think, a very good way, a very sincere way. In fact, the, these were, I would call, Jewish monks. That's what you can call them. They're just Jewish monks. They, they're called, in fact, the word Pharisee means one who separates, one who separates. And so that's, the, that, that's who they are labeled. That's how they're seen. But by the time it gets to Jesus, years and years down the road, 
these guys had turned into just legalistic mongers. I mean, they were just trying everything they can do to control other people's lives through religion, through the law. And so here they come, and, and Nicodemus knew that this wasn't who he was. He knew that he wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. He didn't believe in his heart the same way that his fellow Pharisees believed. So who is this man, Nicodemus? I love this guy. Because he appears a few times in the Gospel of John. We see him at the beginning, and we actually see him at the end. So we get this idea of how he's progressed. And just in a few very short verses, we learn a lot about who he is. Uh, Notice in verse 1, it says, Nicodemus was part of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. That's actually the supreme court. Uh, uh, of, of Judaism. It's a supreme court. And so he was, he was both. This is what's amazing about him. He stands out among even his Pharisees and his Sadducee friends because he's in both groups. He's a Pharisee and he's a Sadducee. And then Jesus says this. I noticed in verse 10, he says, I noticed that you're the teacher. Not a teacher, the teacher. So he was upstanding. He was probably leading a large group of people as their teacher. So he's renowned. This guy has some, he has some influence here. And so when we look at his life, what we recognize is that he stands apart. Now, this is why I, I love the power of the gospel. This is why I love Jesus here, because no one is excluded from the reaches of the gospel. No one is excluded from the touch of God's love. And we think maybe on the other side of the spectrum, we might even be thinking of the tax collectors. They, 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 they're loved by God, or the, the, the prostitutes, or, or the, the adulterers and the adulteress. They're loved by God. But you know what? So are the Pharisees. <laughs> the Pharisees are loved by God. And, and here is a man who gets a hold of this. He's upstanding, and he understands this. Now, I want you to fast forward with me, because this is pretty amazing, at the end, as I told you, he shows up at the end. Remember, he shows up at the burial of Jesus. And I want, to get, I want you to hear this because this is really about the heart of God. He comes in at the end. He comes to the burial. He gives 100 pounds of spices, burial spices for Jesus to be buried. In today's market, that's $200,000. This man was sincere with his faith. He was generous with what God had given him he shows up in this place and you can see god's blessing in his life so nicodemus became an all-in follower of jesus he was drawn to jesus and the love that he had for jesus now there are two qualities that define a sincerity when it comes to i think following jesus one is generosity and the other is grace Are we generous people? Because the center of this passage of Scripture is one that most of us remember, for God so loved the world, that he did what? That he gave. There was a generous God, a God who was generous to all of us, that he gave. And if I want to be one of his children, if I want to represent God, I want to be one of his children, then I want to live a generous life. And then I want to live a grace-filled life. That means those people that I have a relationship with, do I give them bandwidth to live, (laughs) to make the mistakes that they're going to make, my kids, my family, my marriage? The grace of Jesus marks you. The generosity of Jesus marks you. That's really, in my mind, when I look at this, what sets us apart as all-in followers of Jesus Christ. And then 
Look at John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 8 with you just for a moment. It says, he came to Jesus at night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very, 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 he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Here it is. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. A good question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. That you should not be surprised at what I'm saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love that description. If anyone here, and all of us here are people of faith and we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it didn't happen on your own. It wasn't something you conjured up. It was not something you could work for. It was done by the Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit came, convicted you of your sin, brought you to a place of repentance and a place of salvation and following him. And that's what we see here. So you ask the question, why did he come at night? Well, it doesn't really tell us. There, there's a lot of imagination that can go with this and go ahead and use it. Uh, if you, because we're not really told. I, I just like to take a few guesses here. And so number one, I think this, he was possibly afraid to be seen with Jesus. Maybe. Maybe he's just thinking, I don't want to go out there too far right away. I, I, don't, I don't know if I really want to be seen with Jesus. He was just beginning to soar out who Jesus was. And possibly, possibly he was busy. Uh, he was busy during the day. He's a busy man. And the only time he could see Jesus was at night. And sometimes we have, we have meetings like that. We can't meet during the day because we're so busy, so we, we, we meet at night. Possibly, he, he was just wanting some quality, uninterrupted time with Jesus. That, that could be in his heart. Some of my uh, best times with Jesus have been at night. Is that true for you or early morning where you maybe don't rest or you don't sleep and you want to make it productive and you get up and you get into God's word and you pray and there's some things that happen, uh, I mean, transformationally in my life that haven't happened anywhere else except at night. It's in those times where God really is working in my life, and I think that might be happening here. So Nicodemus wanted a private alone time with Jesus, and I think that would be good for us as well, to desire that time with Jesus. Nicodemus knew there were things that you get from Jesus personally that you can't get from Jesus in a crowd altogether. There's things when you're looking him straight in the eyes, when you're looking him face to face, that he's going to change your life. What does Nicodemus do? He refers to Jesus as rabbi. And that's a term of respect. It just means simply teacher. I also think Nicodemus is using the term rabbi, uh, meaning that he's a teacher from God. Notice what he says there. I see that you're a rabbi. You're a teacher from God. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus was more than that. Jesus was God who came to teach. And Nicodemus starts to figure this out. Jesus didn't waste time or words with Nicodemus. He didn't waste any time. Notice how he gets right to it. I love this because this is a great model for sharing your faith. When I was reading this and I thought, I love this model. 
he didn't beat around the bush. He, he, didn't, he just got right to it. And he says, listen, I'm going to tell you a few things. So Jesus shares the good news knowing two things. I think Jesus understood. We know he knew this. People want relationship more than they want religion. Jesus knows that. That's why Nicodemus is pursuing him. He says he, he knows that he wants that relationship and not so much religion. And the other thing is, and people are lost without him. He knows that. And so about the relationship, how do I do that? Well, first of all, I think be yourself. You see that happening here with Jesus. Be yourself. Be, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be someone else. Have you ever, ever noticed this? I remember when, uh, when I was really uh, seeking God in a, in a deeper way, a greater way, when I was in high school and college. And I remember talking to people and asking them about how they share their faith. And all of a sudden, their, their voice would change. And it would, it would like, and then they'd start sounding King James on me. And, and I'm thinking, where, what? What just happened? What just happened? And maybe you've experienced that. Listen, you don't have to do that. You can be yourself. That, that is what God wants you to be. You have a story to tell. Be yourself. No, number two is be simple with what you say. You don't have to make things complicated. You can be simple with how you communicate the gospel. And I think the third thing here is really important. Be open. Be open. Be open to listen and hear and have a good exchange. I, I think that's one of the things that might be more important now than any time. And in, in I know my history, my recent history, my, my past in working with people that don't know Jesus be open and don't be put off by what's said or what how or the argument that might come right in front of you. Don't be put off by that. Don't you don't have to shout, you don't have to get mad, you don't have to walk away. You just be open. And there's ways to communicate with folks that when you're open, they see that, they understand that. And I think that that is huge for us. That you listen, you don't have to be the last one that defends the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does a pretty good job. He's good at what he does. I'm just coming alongside of Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm wanting the heart of Jesus, and I'm wanting to communicate that. So I want to be open. And then people are lost without him. That, that was the second thing. They are spiritually dead. We know that. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that. They are intellectually dark. Romans chapter 1, verses 22. Listen, that one of being intellectually dark is seemingly the darkness is growing. In the days we're living, the darkness is growing, where I think people are intentionally saying, I am totally against God, I'm totally against his word, I'm totally, you know, I'm, I'm totally against everything. Maybe it was passive in the past, but now it's very aggressive and very open. What's happening there is there is an intellectual darkness. They're exchanging something they know, some, some measure of intelligence or some measure of science or some measure of something, and they're substituting, they're putting that in instead of really understanding and pursuing who Jesus is. So there's an intellectual darkness that comes. And then the third is that they're socially disillusioned. And we see that. Oh, boy, do we see that. There's a social disillusionment, the, the time that you're living right now. And I would even say um, deception. Not only delusionment, but deception right now. And so we want to pay attention to this and say, Lord, help us process these relationships that we have. Help us understand who's around us and how do I share my story, my heart, my Jesus. How do I do that? I'm really jealous about my Jesus, just, just so you know. I'm so, I, I, I want people to know who he is. Not who 
everyone else says he is, but who is he? I want to know what God's word says so I can tell others about who Jesus is. Dive into the word for that sake, just the sake of knowing who Jesus is. Then you go a little further here, and I'm going to read this. It's uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 19. It says this. It says, how can this be? This is Nicodemus talking about the spirit being born of the spirit. Nicodemus asked, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. He says the teacher here too. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people speaking of, I think the Pharisees here and in general, the, the heart, the disposition of the Jews do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's the son of man. And he's saying, that's me. And he mentions something that would catch Nicodemus's ear. He refers to an Old Testament uh, occurrence, an event. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. So immediately this Pharisee is going, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about he's the Messiah now. He's the Savior now. And here's the verse that we love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. I love that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's Jesus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness. They follow darkness. They run after darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That is about as clear as you can get, a clear picture uh, of where the soul stands. And, and again, Jesus is making this wide open. He's saying this. He's saying this is what you need to know. And so what we have here is something that we call the good news. This is the good news. This is the gospel. What's center to that is verse 16. We, we grew up this. That's one of the first verses I, I learned in the good news club was this one, John 3, 16. Everybody recited. In fact, I think that was their theme verse of the good news club. Uh, if it wasn't, it should be because it's really a good one. And so you're hearing this. What is good news then? That's the question because a lot of times we, we, it seems to be a relative thing. Uh, it depends on who you are, where you are, or what part of the world you live in, or what your economy tells you. Listen, good news is good news to everyone. It's the same. And so I thought about this, and I thought, good news, this good news, and beyond, what does it look like? Now, here's what good news looks like, I think, in real time. First of all, for good news to be good news to you, it needs to include you. Wouldn't you? That's pretty basic. It's not keeping you out. It's opening the door. You're being invited. There's an invitation, a standing invitation to all that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to come on in. I love the, the passage in Ephesians where it says, to him or her that will come, let them come. The gate's open, and then you get on the other side. I heard a professor say this. You get on the other side of the gate, and you look back up, and it says, predestined before the foundations of the earth. Wow. That's powerful. That's power. But for good news to be good news, it has to be good news for you. It's just not for my neighbors and my friends. Have you ever seen, this is, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a practical joker. People know that. And I, 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 I hate to say this, but I get some me measure of joy out of that. And, 
And, um, and sometimes when it happens, I think it's God's gift to me. I mean, I just, what can I say? I mean, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I, I showed up at the right time to say the right things right here and mess with people just a little bit. But one of the worst, I can't even watch this one. Have you ever seen the, the, the clips, the videos where somebody gets a lottery and they think they won like $5 million? And they go off, I mean, in the kitchen and all their friends are watching them and they're, and they, oh, everyone else is snickering. And, and then someone tells them, no, you really didn't win. You really weren't included. You didn't hit the jackpot. I don't know, but that would send me, I would go to a psychiatrist after that, I think. I mean, that would send me off the edge because imagine you just thought you won $5 million. You're included into $5 million and then you're excluded. That's a horrible feeling. That's a horrible feeling. Let me say this. The gospel does not do that to you. The gospel invites you in, and everything the gospel says it is, it is. Everything that Jesus says it is, it is. And so when I look at this, I recognize that it includes me. Sometimes religion presents God as someone who's distant, unreachable. We see that. Um, we have to work for his favor. Or God must really be persuaded to love me. He, he must really be persuaded to even talk to me, to even notice me. Because I think that's sometimes our impression of who God is. But that's not the impression that we get in the good news. The good news is everyone's included. Just can you say this? I'm included. I'm say it again. I'm included. I'm included. That's, that's really good news. God loves each one. Here's what St. Augustine said. I love it. God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. Beautiful. And then good news to be good news not only includes me, but it saves me. It has to save me. It's nice to, to be included, but all right, is there salvation here? Is there redemption here? Saves me from my own sin. Saves me from my enemies. Saves me from eternal hell. Saves me from a purposeless life. The good news removes me from harm's way. That's what I love about the good news. It's not passive. The good news is active in saving you, keeping you from harm. That's the nature of the good news. That's what I love about it. My boys and I, uh, this has been several years ago, we went camping. They were probably, I, I don't remember, six and four. And we were out in the Mount Hood somewhere. And, and we were going down to the river. And we slid down a bank. And when we slid down a bank, we, we, we opened up the gates of hell on us. Because all of a sudden, these yellow jackets came out of the ground and they were not happy if you've ever seen a swarm it's different than when they just move it's almost like they get this one mind and they're going to go after and they all stay together and i saw them come out of the ground and i thought oh no and i told my oldest son run to that water hole right there and he starts running and i just grabbed my other son and put, like a football and i just was running down the log with him like this and i was getting bit all over my back and I was keeping him in front of me, you know, as much as I could. And we jumped into this water hole, and I took my shirt off, and I put it over the top, and I said, just breathe close to the water. Do not lift your head up. Those things are mad. They're coming after us. I took him out of harm's way. I got to the camp, and I was stung all over. Uh, but my kids barely got touched. See, that's, that's the nature of Jesus when he's rescuing you. If you want a picture... You're in a hornet's nest. You're, you're, you're getting chased by a wasp. What are you going to do? You need someone to take you out of harm's way. Jesus comes along and he takes us out of harm's way. And I think this is true about the good news. It includes me. It saves me. But here's the other thing. The good news blesses my life. There's just something 
about walking in the good news of Jesus Christ that people look at you and say, that's a blessed life. Those are blessed people. In so many ways, so many different ways, there's blessing in my life. And I, I think immediately the, the first few things that come to mind are this. Uh, I think about the peace now that I have with God. Think about that. The Bible says I was once an enemy. I, w- I was once uh, lost. I was once a long way away. But now, through the blood of Jesus, I'm brought near. I, I'm in his camp. I'm on his team. I'm in, I'm in his family. But I, I was a long way away. I was separate. I was an enemy. But now I have peace with God. Wow. You, you know what that feels like when you don't have peace with God? You know that. It's just not. It's nasty. And here, because of the gospel, and, and it blesses me, I have peace with God. The other thing is, is I have peace with others. Because of the depth and the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can live in peace with others. And then, uh, maybe, maybe the most important, I don't know, all these rank really high, but have, I have peace with myself. I mean, I have peace with myself in my heart. So I not only have peace with God, but I have the peace of God. The peace of God in my heart because. And the fruits of the Spirit tell you what that looks like. So if you want to go find a place to, to look, it's Galatians 5, 19 through 26. It says, the acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. It goes on and on. And then it says this. Uh, I love this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the blessing of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You are free. You are blessed because you're living a life in the gospel of Jesus. Have you ever had those moments in life where you felt totally left out? I mean, I don't know, maybe it was uh, picking teams and you, and you were the last. It's like, oh, thanks, man, you're just throwing me a bone here. And it was almost like when they pick me, I'm the last guy they're picking me. It's like, yeah, well, we got here. You know, we don't really have a lot of choices. That's really no fun. You know, that's, that's really no fun at all. I remember that happened to me a lot just because of my stature. But when I got out to play the game, I made them pay for it. I wanted them to pay for that choice. So, <laughs> so, so I worked really hard at that. But here, what happens is you don't want to be excluded. You don't want and like the feeling of being excluded. And for me, that's so true when I look around. I see uh, people in our world, in my life, that I, I'm looking at, and they, there's this sense of, like, they don't belong. They're excluded. It's like they live life that way. They, they just they live life. They're internally somehow wired that, that they're just always going to be excluded. I want to tell you right now, that's a lie from the enemy. And what has to happen is your heart and mind need to be rewired right now. The old wiring snipped. The new wiring comes, which tells you that, that you belong. You belong. And I'll tell you, this feeling uh, has gotten more profound in my life as I've gotten older. The reason it has is because I have grandkids. And I don't, I have, we have eight now, and I don't like to see them excluded. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, okay, you better include these guys, you know, and especially the little ones. So you know, I'm always defending the little ones with the big ones, all right? You got to, don't be rough on them. You got to include them. They need to be with their older cousins. That just seems to be my job, but that's the job of God's Holy Spirit in your life. He's looking after you. 
And he's going to bring you in to places that are safe, places where there is a sense of belonging in your life. And then he'll give you compassion for those that are lost. See, this is the, really, this is the evidence that I know I belong is because I try to include others in my life. That's the evidence. That's the evidence that I know I belong. Let, I'm going I'm to say something. I'm going to close with this. And I, this, is, this is coming from someone maybe who's been around a while, but I, 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 wanna, I just want to share this with you because it's really been on my heart. But for Annette and I, especially lately, I want to speak to you. I'm going to speak to you like a grandpa. Can I do that? That's the way I do things now. Um, in some ways, I, I think we are losing our love for the lost. We means the church. And how, Ron, how do you know that? How do you know that? There have been so many other things that have taken our attention that we've become obsessed with, and they have nothing to do with eternal life, the eternal life of others. It has everything to do with me and what I want and, and my rights and all those kinds of things. And that's these we are not good ambassadors when we live that way. Good ambassadors say, I'm I'm coming and, and I, I want to include you and I wanna I wanna bring the lost into my life. And I I want to speak honest here about a gospel question. And just think about this. I'm not gonna ask you to <laughs> fill out a piece of paper on your test and check the boxes. But ask yourself the question, when was the last time I cried over the lost? When was the last time I prayed over the lost? When was the last time I spent time with the lost? When was the last time I, I did that? I was surprised by that inventory because um, I like and I love spending time with the lost, but I realize that some of that's been diminished over time in this last season we've been in. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm talking to you because you, Bible says, you bring the light. Without you, there is no salt. There is no light. And so everything really, in a lot of ways, rides on our shoulders. You know, I'm not condemning. It's, this is not a condemning word. I'm just addressing something very real. You know, uh, down the road, you might look and say, oh, he was babbling. He was, he was wrong. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. And I, and I hope that this won't be the outcome. I hope the outcome will be this. That our light would shine so brightly and so graciously and so lovingly that it brings revival everywhere you go. Don't be waiting for it out there somewhere. It's in here. It's right here. It's bringing the torch, the light of Jesus Christ. Are we becoming more and more obsessed with things that don't matter? Are we becoming more and more offended over things that don't even offend God? Let me, let me say this. You're going to spend time being offended. Be offended over what God is offended over. Is that a, that's a good deal. Just, just go there and say, I'm going I'm to camp out here. But with this, we need to say, Lord, I'm going to give all this to you. And I want my light to shine. I, I, um, I, I want the world to see Jesus. And, and you are good enough to share that. You are you. And anything that keeps you and say, tells you any different, it's a lie from the pit of hell. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony.
Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to thank you today for this message. Even our kids are hearing this today. Our youth are hearing this today. We're all on the same page today. So thank you for your love. For God so loved the world, so generous, that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if this is something you want to do, if you want today to receive Jesus in your heart, and not be on the outside looking in, but be on the inside of his love and his care, uh, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. That's all. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. I'm not going to call you out. We're just going to, here's what we're going to do with your hands lifted. We're just going to get you a little package. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your faith. We want to get you a little package, and it's a starter kit. Look at it that way. You know, you're just getting a starter kit, uh, kind of like YouTube in a package right now, and you can look, look just follow it, and it's going to help you. But I'm going to have everyone, including those that lifted their hands today, and you online, you would be the same as well. Please, please come to faith in Jesus if you're hearing this message online. Please do that. Um, but I want us all to pray this really simple prayer. And for those that are receiving Christ today, Jesus and his love, this is, this is their, they're stepping over the line from death to life right now. New birth, second birth happening before your very eyes. Repeat after me, would you, dear Jesus? This is everybody. I love you. And today I invite you into my life. I, I need your love. I need your peace. Uh, I need your hope. Right now, I find myself desperate, looking for answers. But I find that answer is you. So today, I confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart, that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you applaud the salvation of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? Thank you for hanging out today. This has been a great day for us. And for those that came to faith in Jesus, thank you. We love you. You don't have to do this alone. You're part of this community. And just walk with us, and we'll walk with you. And there's people up here front that will pray with you if you want more answers uh, to your questions. They're up here as well. And they would be glad to pray for you and with you. God bless you. You're just Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.